Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been caught doing something that you were not supposed to be doing? How did you feel? Did you feel vulnerable or afraid about what others would think of you? Did you think about God and what it would be like standing before him with this thing that you have done? How do you react when you are caught doing something wrong? There's many different reactions, but I would like to focus on three. Anger. Two, self-justification or diversion. Or three, despair over one's own actions. The first response is anger. Here's an example. I once caught someone in a mask stealing something from my garage in the middle of the night. I was scared out of my mind when I saw him. There was a little sidewalk that led out to the garage. I was walking along it and I saw that the door was open. Just before I was reached in to close the door, the person came out, boom, right in front of me. He had my gardening tools, my loppers, and my shears. And I said, well, I will not repeat right now. (laughs) (laughs) But it scared me, and he took off running. I had a pretty good idea of who it was. So the next day, I went to the house, his house and asked him if he was the person that I saw the night before. I believed that he, I had caught him, but he reacted to me very angrily. He rose up against me with verbal attacks, using every word in the book. Again, words I will not repeat. And when he was cornered, he got angry. He was angry that I had accused him. Some of us do this when God's word judges us. We question instead, well, who is God to point out the things that I've done? Who who is God? Look at all the bad stuff that he's allowed to happen in this world. He shouldn't be accusing me. I should be accusing him. And look at the church. Who are they to judge me? That house of God is more like a house of hypocrites. That's the first example. Anger. I've met other people, myself included in this one, who have been caught in their sin and they try to justify why their actions are really not sinful at all. Many people actually use theology, God's own word, to show that what they really did was actually okay. In our gospel lesson, we see Nicodemus 
coming to Jesus in the middle of the night, he was a little worried that Jesus might just be the Messiah. And this worried him because if Jesus was the Messiah, then Nicodemus would have to repent and follow Jesus. This would make him actually lose his job and his income as a Pharisee. Because all the other Pharisees were directly opposed to Jesus. Nicodemus was caught in a way because when he heard Jesus' teaching, he realized, I'm a sinner. But to admit that would mean losing everything. So he was caught in between two desires. So he decided to approach Jesus in the middle of the night when no one else could see him. And he tried to be polite with Jesus and talk some theology with him. But in the end, he could not justify himself. In the end, he just says to Jesus this, Well, how can these things be? How can a man be born again? How can a man be born of water and the Spirit, as this Jesus says? He's talking crazy talk. If I were to do this, I wouldn't have anything that I've worked so hard for. If I were to follow this Jesus. So in the end, Nicodemus just says, What many people say when they are caught sinners... He says, how can I be sure of any of this? I have many friends that try to disprove the Bible so that the Bible does not accuse them. They try to discredit the Bible so that they don't have to be under God's law. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who questioned, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you don't receive the testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things. He's saying, I want more. What I don't have isn't enough. I want further proof. It's like that, like the guy in the Bible. Um, he wanted to go down and show... Uh, he, he was in, in hell and he wanted to go show his brothers that this is real. You better repent. And Abraham says to him, they have the law and the prophets. They have the Bible. And even if someone raises from the dead, if they don't believe the scripture, they're not going to believe. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that the Bible is very clear 
in two things. One, in law, it is clear. And two, in gospel, there is a way out, so to speak. The law condemns each and every one of us because it shows that we are sinners. We are caught. We're caught. We cannot change this by getting angry at God or at the church. We cannot make ourselves any less caught by running away or using false theology to excuse our sins. And we can't please God like the Pharisees were trying to do by making up our own man-made good works. God's law is holy and righteous and it must be upheld by a holy and righteous God. All sins must be punished. And this leads us to the gospel. Well, shortly it will. There is one other way that people respond to being caught. And this is the way of despair over one's own actions. Let's take a look at our Old Testament lesson. Here we have Isaiah coming face to face with God in his glory. Isaiah writes of the experience. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. The holiness of God was too much. And one called to another, one seraphim called to another on either side of God who filled the temple. And they sang out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah writes, the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. The whole house was filled with smoke. Isaiah saw God in his glory. This was awe-inspiring. Can you imagine? Well, Isaiah did not feel excited. Let's take a look at what he said. He writes, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. He's terrified. He cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. He was caught in his sin. If he was like some people, he would get angry and try to point the finger at God. If he was like others, he could try to show God that one obscure verse in the Bible that made him think that he didn't really have to take the rest of it seriously. 
He could have tried to justify himself by showing all the good things that he did by keeping God's word in other areas. I know I have this problem, but look at, I was good here, I was good here, I'm a good person. But instead, he says, Woe is me. I'm lost. Then he confessed his sin unto God. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He confessed his sin, and he showed that he agreed that he was condemned by God's law. He had broken the Eighth Commandment. He had bore false testimony against his neighbor. Maybe he gossiped. He had broken the Eighth Commandment. If you break any of them, James says you've broken the first. My friends, God's law does not excuse any of us in this room. We are condemned. We have not loved God with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And more than that, we have each done things that we are so ashamed of that we wouldn't want anybody else in this room to know. We can get angry. We can try to explain things away. We can argue theology all day long. But in the end, none of these things will justify us. They will only ensure this, that we keep our own sin upon our own heads. And we'll get hell as our reward. Trying to justify ourselves will only separate us from a God who cannot be a part of the lies that we tell ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But, and I put this in all caps, but if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and who is just, will forgive our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does he do that? Through the cross of Jesus. And this is the gospel. Jesus shared with Nicodemus that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. You don't have to argue with me, Nicodemus. I'm here for you. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. By arguing with me, you're arguing with salvation. 
You're already condemned. I've come to save you. We look to Jesus who was crucified for us in our place. And by his death, he drowns our sins in our baptism. You've been caught. But the guilt and shame, the very deed that you have done, has been drowned and washed away. You have been caught just like Isaiah was, but your lips have been touched with the very body and blood of Jesus that makes you whole again. You have been caught, and you yourself have admitted this morning, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all of my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you, you've admitted, for which I justly deserve temporal, that means here and now, and eternal punishment. I am caught, and like Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost. But when Isaiah said that, God didn't leave him there. God sent a messenger to him. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the author, altar. And he touched my mouth, the very place where I have sinned. And he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt, it's taken away. Your sins, they're atoned for. And Isaiah's sin was atoned for by the blood of Jesus, whom Isaiah had not yet seen in the flesh. But Isaiah knew him. If you want proof, look at Isaiah chapter 53. And we know Jesus too. And when we confessed like Isaiah, God sent his messenger to us to proclaim, I forgive you all of your sins in the name, the very name that was placed upon you in your baptism, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You once were lost, but now you are found. And you didn't find yourself. God found you. Do not hide from God, but rest in his, the saving mercy of Jesus. And as you rest in his mercy, God's going to do the most curious thing. He will actually use you, that crazy caught sinner, to seek out others who were lost, just like you were. For once Isaiah received atonement for his sins, he writes, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? 
and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I. The same guy who couldn't stand, the same guy who wanted to run, the same guy who was in his despair. Now, forgiven. Now, righteous. Now says, here am I. Send me. The sin that once crippled Isaiah was taken away because of Jesus. And the sin that crippled you rests at the bottom of the baptismal font. And if you have not been baptized, God is saying to you, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And you who were starved for acceptance at one time have been fed the very food that flows from our Heavenly Father's love for you. Your sins, they do not have to stop you from living out your lives of love for your neighbor. You are free. Free to love as you've been loved. And now this. Now the peace that surpasses all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus until he returns for you. Amen.